What then, Paul says, when you come together, why do you come together? What is your purpose for coming together? Why do you come to a church if it's only for you? Welcome this morning. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'd like for you to also turn back to chapter 11. Today we'll be talking about worship that builds up. Now we have already established that worship is more than music. Worship is not the songs. We don't come to church and we do the worship first and then we listen to the message. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons we are having our Seder Passover meal, not that we want to be Jewish, we are trying to establish on how the Lord's Supper, the communion, came to us. Uh, all we know is when we partake of our communion, our symbol of salvation, is that we get a wafer and we get a, a cup of juice, and, and we take the wafer and then we drink the juice, and, and so that, that's what most people know about the Lord's Supper. But it, is, it wasn't just that. It was all taken out of what was called the Passover meal. And it's called Seder because that's the order that it was done, and there's an order to it. And one, one year, we were talking about various aspects of our church, uh, the discipleship aspect, the fellowship aspect, the ministry, the evangelism, and worship. And, and I had come out, and I said, I'm going to talk, talk for five weeks on each one of these categories, each one of these topics. And I threatened the church at that time. I said, and for, for five weeks, we're not going to have any music to show that worship is more than music. Well, I had a mutiny on my hands. What? No music? And so I go, okay, okay. One Sunday, one Sunday what we will do is we will have what's called the Passover meal to show that worship is more than just music. Amen? Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is expressing uh, our, our love to God, adding worth to his, to his being, his presence. We can't add any more that he already has, but we can give him our attention in such a way that it elevates him in our life. It magnifies him, makes him bigger in our life. God's already as big as he's going to be, and he can be even bigger if he wants to be. I can't make him any bigger than he already is, but in my life, I can do that. And so we express worship through music. Music is a big part of it. And it's, it's a shame that the church has gotten away from the actual worship part where they look at that and that's all they consider worship. And the rest of the week, they live a whole different lifestyle. But we want to establish, and we've already established, that worship is a lifestyle. It's not just the music. We've established already that uh, in 1 Corinthians, as we've been going through this, this portion of tongues and, and prophecy, that the tongues have ceased. We've established that the languages, first and foremost, are tongues back in Acts chapter 2, had to do with languages, because that's what they spoke. As they spoke, the people listened and heard in their own language. And every time that that took place throughout the book of Acts, every time that took place, they spoke in a language that was understandable. And it was translated as such as a language that they understood. Somewhere along the line, especially in 1 Corinthians, We've established that 1 Corinthians is probably the first letter that was written prior to the gospel. So this is a brand new church, and there are people coming in out of Corinth into this church that are bringing their practices in with them. And in these practices, some of the pagan rituals that they were a part of were these frenzies and the ecstatic speech and, and, and getting themselves elevated to a point where they can get up to the gods and speak their language and would come down and utter these utterances within the church or within their 
uh, their own temples and congregations, and they were bringing this into the church. And Paul says to them, no, no, no this, this is not the tongue that we're talking about. That's just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. You know, even if I could, even if there was a language that I could speak, that could speak to God, and if I don't have love, then it's all worthless. And many people have taken that as a sign that you can actually do this kind of language speaking within a church. We've also established that prophecy is not fortune telling. Prophecy is not telling the future or somebody telling you what God intends for you to do. Prophesying is speaking God's word. We have God's word right here. It's complete. It is put together. This is all we need and this is all we have. And, and this is all, and, and anybody else that comes out with an outside prophecy or revelation, we say that we have a closed revelation. It, it doesn't matter how good that outside revelation might come in, outside understanding of what they think they heard from God. If it's not in God's word, it's not, we don't take it. We just don't take it, no matter how good it sounds. Because first of all, even if it lines up with God's word, I already have God's word. I don't need it. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, then I don't want it. And so we've established these points, especially during this time of worship. As we remember, Paul is talking to a church that is just falling apart. Paul is talking to a church that is just doing whatever they want. They're suing each other. They got these factions. They got these divisions. They got sexual immorality, marriage that's not even looked upon right and properly. And, and so in chapter 11, Paul starts about their act of worship, what they do. And if you go back with me to chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, and he says, now, in verse 2, because it actually starts in verse 2, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything, and it maintained the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. He starts off by identifying one of the biggest problems within the church, that Everybody was getting up and saying the things that they wanted to say. And, and as they were proceeding in worship, it seemed like the women were rising up within the church. Now, we're going to talk about a verse right now in just a bit. But I have to set this back up, going back to what we were talking about. Because what Paul is sharing here, he's, he's not subjugating women. He's not a male chauvinist. He doesn't, you know, it's not that he doesn't like women in ministry. Because I, I don't know if you remember when we were talking in the book of Acts. Uh, turn back there with me as well in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the last chapter, chapter 28, uh, and uh, actually it's uh, chapter, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Acts, it was Romans, because we did Romans also, uh, Acts as well. In Romans, because after he wrote this letter, uh, in chapter 16, of Romans chapter 16, the very first thing he says after he finished writing this letter, after he's taken, he's, he's written this letter and he's sending it off out of Ephesus and he's sending it to the, to the city of Rome, to the people in Rome. And he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a, cert, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, if you remember when we went through the book of Romans, Paul, first and foremost, singles her out as a servant, as a patriot. It is believed that she was the one that was entrusted with the writing of Paul to take to Rome, which was an honor, which was a great privilege for any person, let alone a woman. 
And I know what the I know what the world thinks, and I know what they say about uh, what the church believes, because the church uh, preaches and teaches, and the Bible tells us itself that uh, wives are to be submitted to their husbands, that a wife should not, a woman should not speak within the church, that she should not train or teach men or be above them. And and I want you to know something that if if that was the case within our church, then I would have asked my wife to come on up, give the announcements, but don't say anything. Don't say nothing. Oh, and also, if that was the case within us, you know, I would say, okay, Stephanie, go ahead and, and uh, sing us a song, but, 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 but don't use words. Don't say nothing. You got to be silent. You know, how, how you know, and so there's got to be a balance here. There's got to be something that Paul is talking to us about. As a matter of fact, if you've been with us any length of time, you'll know, you'll know that the Bible, every time it speaks of a woman, it elevates her. Every single time she is raised up, not subjugated, and, and, and somehow... There are people there are in, in some churches where they've done that to women, and, and we, they have been made equal with us. Yet, there are certain roles that God has given us as men and as women. And those are the roles that we try to, to work through and work our salvation through. Because women are very important to our ministry. Amen? They are. And we need to recognize that as well. Yet, there are certain, certain roles that Paul has given us. And so, we're going to talk about that here in just a bit. But, but Paul goes back, and, and the, the first and foremost, uh, uh, I want you to take out the outline that's already filled out. And let's go back and look at chapter 11 very quickly. Come, now is the time to worship. This is where the church has fallen apart within the Lord's Supper, how they would come together. They would eat and drink and get drunk. And then everybody that was working got in there late. Everything was gone. And they were, and, and they were just put aside and cast aside, made fun of. They were laughed at. And these are the things that were going on within the church. And so we said that, number one, uh, when we come to worship, worship is traditional. Paul said, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Traditional could mean different things to different people. Traditions could be, uh, you know, the music style. Traditions could be the, uh, the type of a building that we use or don't use a building. Traditions could be the, the, the cell groups, either at home churches. But, but what Paul is talking about is talking about the teachings, the training, the doctrines that were handed down from, from Paul to everyone else. And he says, I commend you that, that you are maintaining those doctrines, those teachings. Because if we were going to hold on to the traditions of the church, then we would actually be doing it in a synagogue or maybe in somebody's house. And uh, there wouldn't be no electrical music. And we would have to go to a, an extreme of where there are certain churches or certain places, um, you know, they don't even use buttons or zippers because they don't want to be anything like the world. They would be. And so the traditions that Paul is talking about are the traditions that he's handed down. It's it's the teachings of the, uh, of the church. Number two, we said that worship is orderly. And he says in verse three, but I, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. There's an order to it. And there's a, a manner in which worship is to take place. And there's a place for every person within the ministry. Even as children, children have a place in ministry. Their ministry is to bring us love. Amen. Their ministry is to love on us. Their ministry is to be, you know, traviesos, troublemakers. Their ministry is to keep us on our toes. Their ministry is to teach us patience. Their ministry is, is within the church. And, and, and there's times, I don't know if you've uh, noticed, but... When we finished here and we, we go, if you, if you haven't, you'll know, probably see it today. We'll go into the fellowship hall and I usually stand back and those kids are just waiting. My grandkids are just waiting and waiting and they come. As soon as I walk through the door, grandpa, you know, it's, to me, it's a blessing. 
I look forward to it every Sunday. So you can't be missing church anymore, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. But even they have a part, but it's got to be orderly. We won't allow them to come running right now. They would. They would. As a matter of fact, there's been times that they've gone from classroom to classroom, and my little granddaughter, hey, Grandpa, in the middle of the service. Worship needs to be traditional. Worship is orderly. Worship is reverent, of course. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, Paul is expressing how worship should be done within the, the body and, and how we express our, our love to God. Worship should be natural. For a man ought not cover his head. There, there's, a, in the back of my, the outline, there's a, there's a way of, uh, that it just imbues from us and how, it, how a man is supposed to lead the worship and how, how the wife is supposed to follow her husband in worship and, and how it's, it's to be conducted within the church worship includes my family it should be a husband and wife it should be children and 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 plus and so we try to gather the whole families worship is god focused always about god amen and and so just to go very quickly to recap on what we talked about because right here paul is concluding chapter 11 12 13 and 14 he goes into the Lord's Supper. He, he, in chapter 12, the spiritual gifts that are being misused. 13, it's all about love. If you're not doing it in love, then it's all for nothing. And then in chapter 14, we start off in verses 26 and on. And that's where I would like to jump in right now and then lead us to that place. But before we go there, let me uh, raise up a, a, a word of, of prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to open and to uh, illumine our vision as we read your word that you, you you written many years ago, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us this morning as we look at these important words. And this whole book, this whole time that we've been in the book of Corinthians, we've seen the church that has fallen apart. And Paul is doing his best in love, and in, but, but very sternly correcting every church, especially this one. And it's a model of all the other churches that are to fall into place and fall into line. And so we ask you, Lord, to show us this morning what Paul is trying to get across to us today. Help us to take the timeless principle from back then and apply it to our life today. The traditions, the setting, the societal differences, everything that was happening back then, Lord, help us to understand it and try to apply it to our life today. So thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And in my Bible, uh, it says right on the top, orderly worship. And he says in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself. Understand that. It's the first time God says, or Paul says, keep silent. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. That's the second time he says that. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not of God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. That's the third time he says that. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is, a, it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. 
Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commanded of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Number one, we exist as a church to celebrate God's presence. What then, Paul says, when you come together, why do you come together? What is your purpose for coming together? Why do you come to a church if, if it's only for you? You have to remember that Paul has been addressing all, these, all this time. He's been addressing this self-centered naturedness of people. Everybody wants to speak in tongues. Everybody wants the showy gifts. Everybody wants the preaching and the prophesying. Everybody wants the things that stand up. And nobody wants to do the, 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 the services of the hand or the foot and as a matter of fact, the hand and the foot were saying somewhat in, in what Paul was saying, you know, the, the hand says, you know, that I don't, I'm not a part of the body. The, the foot says, and the eye says, but, and everybody is arguing amongst each other. And Paul is pointing these things out. And he says, you've got to work together as one body. You're not separate parts. You got, you have to work together. And, and, and the purpose that the reason that we come together, what, what then brothers, when you come together, what is that reason? When you come together, why do you come to church? Why do you attend North Park or any church for that matter? What is the purpose of you coming here? The purpose of any congregation, of any minister coming together as Christians is to celebrate God's presence. That's called worship. To celebrate his presence. That's to celebrate and to add and give love to God. It's not about me. If I go and I've been to many churches and, and conferences and different things. And if I go to a church or a conference or whatever, and for some reason, you know, and I've said this before, I just didn't get nothing out of it. Well, what I, start, what I just did is that I made it all about me. And it's not about me, it's about God. And every person, every pastor, every leader, if he uses the word of God and God's word is spoken and there, he is, it is prophesied or spoken God's word, then there should be something there that I can glean from that. I should be able to receive something from that. Because what the church was doing in Corinth, they went there for themselves. They were there because everybody had a, a, a tongue, everybody had a lesson, a hymn, everybody had a song of some sort, a revelation, an interpretation. Everybody wanted to get involved, and everybody wanted to get into the act, and they would get there early to make sure that they were the first ones in line. And Paul is saying, why do you get together? Well, folks, the reason we get together is, number one, to celebrate God's presence. We call that worship. And we do that with our, our Bible study that we had this morning. And I, and I mentioned to the group, this is worship. But nobody's singing. That's okay. This is worship. We're, we're celebrating his presence. And the fact that we're able to do that together as a group, the fact that God has given us a building to be able to do that, that is just a, an awesome privilege. Not necessarily needed, but we thank you, Lord, for giving us a building to be able to do worship, to be able to come together and express our love to God. Because Paul says at the end of that verse, let all things be done for building up. We have to build each other up. It's not about me, and it's, it's first and foremost about God, and I want to build you up. As a matter of fact, the, uh, when we come together, there are a lot of people that want to do, as Paul was saying, they all want to give us a song or a, a hymn or a, something, an interpretation, a revelation. Jesus, when he was approached by Satan in the desert and he was talking to Satan about, uh, or Satan was talking to him about 
how he can get something to eat, turn that that rock into uh, some food, and and you can you can take that in, or or you know if you if you if I take you up to the highest place and you jump off and you just give your devotion to me, I will give you all these different kingdoms. And Jesus responded to him by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God. Notice how he puts this in order. You shall worship the Lord your God and and him only shall you serve. It's interesting because he took this out of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy, God told Moses the same thing. And Deuteronomy says, you guys got to worship first and foremost. Because if you don't recognize and celebrate the presence of God, then everything else gets done. Then service gets done. You see, what happens is in some churches that as long as I'm doing something, I'm okay. It's that Mary Martha syndrome, remember? Mary Martha, you know, and she's busy and she's running and she's, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. She's picked the best thing. She has, she's sitting down. Everything else is just stuff. And it gets in the way. And my attitude should be that I'm giving God what he is worth, my life. And that is the, the first and foremost, pri- and then service. It's interesting how this is written. Now, Jesus put it down. You shall worship God, your Lord, the Lord your God, first and foremost, and then, then you can do service. And then serve him. And then serve him out of that worship. Not coming here to serve. Not coming here to do. Not coming here to preach or teach or whatever the case may be. But love him. First and foremost. Number two, educate God's people. We exist as a church to educate God's people. This is called discipleship. Discipleship. Teaching, training. We're having an excellent time on Wednesday nights. If you, if you haven't joined us, we're almost done with the, the first part of the lesson. Uh, but uh, you can get a lot of information out of it. You can go back and reread it. But we have another one coming up here very soon. And, and it's gonna, we're going to go back-to-back back concurrent most of the year. We'll probably be done in November, I think. But, but anyways, um, there's three books. And the second book, we're going to start it the very next week. And I, and I want to encourage you to be here. Very simple, very easy to read, understandable scripture showing you with you on how the holiness of God applies to my life. And how, because of the holiness of God, how God has chosen me. And because of the holiness of God and how he's chosen me, number three, and how do I respond back to God? How do I please God? And many of you have been looking and wondering, how do I do that? And you do that by the serving sometimes and by the doing. This is an eye-opener, folks, and I, I pray that you can attend. But we, we do this through educating, educating God's people on Sunday morning. Every time we meet, we come together and we educate one another. And Paul says this in the rest of verse 40, uh, 26. He says, let all things be done for building up. This is a word that is used as a construction term. To build up the retaining walls, to build up this building, to build up is what we are to be doing with one another. Everything should be done in order to be built up. You know, as a matter of fact, after we're done here this morning, we're going to go over to the fellowship and I'm going to build up your body by giving you chicken. We're going to give you some potato salad as well because we want to build you up. But we want to encourage you. And I've said this before. We can have chicken, we can have tacos, we can have spaghetti anywhere, any time of the week. But when we do it as a family, we build each other up. There's something very special about doing it as a church family. And so we educate God's people. He says back in 14, verse 3, he says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. See, you may have this ability to have this supernatural ability, 
But the one thing that Paul, that stands out in Paul's mind is his prophecy, speaking God's word. Because what it does, it builds up. It builds everyone up. In Ephesians 2.22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you're asking, what am I going to be built up for? How should I be built up? What is this building up process for? Is it for myself? Is it just so that I can be strong and be able to fight or be able to argue or be able to, to, to discuss with other people and try to convince them of what, where they're wrong? No, you're being built up for the Holy Spirit, so that you can be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look at the next verse in Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted, built up. You are, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the more garbage that we have taken in, in the last several years since birth, or rebirth, and all this garbage that we've been taking in, now we have to take it out to be built up and become healthy, mature individuals, spiritually mature, to be able to be established in our faith. When you are built up, and you're built up properly, what did Jesus say? If you take these words of mine, and you put them into practice, you're like the wise man that built his house on the rock. The rains will come down, the floods will rise, the winds will blow against it, but the house that is built on the rock, when you take these words of mine and put them into practice, will stand firm. And just the opposite is true. But if you take these words of mine and you don't put them into practice, it's like the foolish man that builds his house on the sand. The same rains will come down, the same rains will, will rise up, the same winds will blow, and you know what? Your same river, same everything. The only difference is the foundation, and that house will fall. Your home, your life, who you are, build yourself on God's word. Take and build each other up. But it's just not me. I'm supposed to build Joe up. I'm supposed to build Danny up. And anyone else here, I, I need to build my wife up. And, and, and we build up our children and one another. And, and, and we do so by encouraging and loving and, and sharing with them. And, and sometimes in love, you have to say something that is going to hurt. Sometimes you have to say things that are, they would take downright mean. Sometimes you have to say some words that this truth, that is just not a good idea. That is not right. What you did, what you said, take your pick. I don't want to pick on anybody. You know who you are. First Corinthians 14, 33, uh, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He's not a confusing God. He isn't, and he never was. So if you would train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I am now, after 20 some odd years, after 25 years of ministry, I am now uh, seeing the fruit of a lot of the people that we've raised up within the church and we're seeing the children come back. And we, I'm watching those kids want to dedicate their children to the Lord. And, and we had a funeral yesterday here for part of that family. Last Sunday, we had a baby dedication. And, and so it, when they raise up, they won't, they won't depart from it. And so we need to train ourselves in the back of your outline, First Timothy. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. And this is what Paul was talking about. The one thing that's going to last is love. 
Prophecy, it's going to end. Tongues have ceased. Knowledge will end. But love will last forever. Number three, we exist as a church to incorporate God's family. That's fellowship. We exist to come together as a body and to enjoy one another and to be able, we call it fellow shaping. <laughs> we call it, you know, coffee and cheese or, or uh, cheesecake, donuts. We call it the time that we gather together and, and, and enjoy one another's love and encouragement from one another. And Paul says in, in 14, 13, if anyone thinks that he, well, let me, let me back up here just a little bit. In verse 30, uh, in 36, 34, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. There was a, there was a confusing spirit within the church of Corinth. It's already been established that they were rising up with their tongues and the interpretations and everything. It's already been established that they were uh, going against each other. It was, it's already been established that they had been suing each other. And so with all this chaos going on, and, and women would get up, and they would just say, well, yeah, I don't believe that. Or, you know, I don't understand that. Uh, you know, and, and it was just chaotic. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, and I think I've pointed it out maybe once or twice, but in this church, there was no established leadership. There wasn't anybody that was taking charge. The 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 apostle left, Apostle Paul left a person, Apollos, there to pastor that church. But we don't hear of him except for at the very beginning when they've got these groups. And apparently the, the pastor or the leader has gone on his way. So everybody wants to be the leader. And it just so seemed that in this uh, culture, this, this worship of women and this worship of by women and the leadership of the women, they rose up. Now, I, I know, and I know from experience that... There are some women that are very, um, well, how do I say that? Forceful. <laughs> how can I be nice? I am trying to be nice. I, you know, and, and very strong opinion, opinions, opinionated, put it that way. And my wife and I, we have discussions, which is, which is great. But one of the things that my wife will never do, she'll never assert my authority. She'll never do that. And I thank God for that. It wasn't always like that. And there were times that we, you know, as, as we started to, to rise up, as a matter of fact, and I, I think you might have heard this testimony before, but, you know, she was, I liked her because she was very independent. And I wasn't, you know, I said, you know, I, I was kind of independent. You know, you take care of your thing, I'll take care of my thing. And that was good. And that was the way we liked it until we found out, we got saved and found out what the Bible says. Well, I got to be in charge. I don't want to do that. But you know what? That's God's plan. And that's his role for us. In this church, it was a brand new church. The first letter written before any of the Gospels, there was no other instruction. And so everybody was doing what they wanted to do. So Paul says, you know, stop this confusion. You know, if you guys are all speaking in tongues, be silent. If you guys are all prophesying, be silent. Women, if you guys are rising up, be silent. He's not telling you women to be silent. We're not going to take this as a license to tell you that, oh, no, no, you can't speak at all. Otherwise, as I said earlier, what would be the point of asking my wife to give announcements if I can't have her to speak? Amen? You know, and Paul does make a very clear distinction. Something was going on, and we don't have the, we don't have the ability or the pleasure to know exactly what was happening for him to all of a sudden just kind of insert that in there. And it is believed that maybe what was happening is some of the women were saying, you know, what is he saying? How come he's in turn? Why, why is he? You know, hold on. Well, let me try to. And, and they would ask these questions, very inquisitive. And so Paul was saying, you know, if they have questions, let them ask at home. Not that he wasn't telling them to all be quiet. But what he was saying was, let this kind of conversation that's happening happen at home. Because everything else was falling apart. Let's not add this into the mix as well. Let's not do that. 
But then again, you know, as you know, there are some people, including men, not just women, that just like to disrupt services. That's just, and so Paul is talking to everybody here. He's talking to everyone. And so we can't incorporate the body, the fellowship, unless, as Paul says in verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. You know, if you really think that you're a prophet, you're really speaking for God, if you really believe that that's happening. Now, again, one of the things that we, we established already about prophecy there was no canon. There was no Bible. And so God would speak to people. And, God, and these people would give the, 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 the message. And Paul was spoken to by God. And he was given the message to the people. And after they were written down, and all these instructions were written down, they were put together. Once that ceased, and once it was put together, there is no more voice from God out of outside revelation. This is all the revelation we need. In tongues, tongues, as we mentioned, was a, because he does talk about this. Well, let, let me go there here real quickly. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Number four, uh, to communicate God's word. The reason we come together is to communicate God's word. That's evangelism. So, my brothers, earnest, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Now, if we just took that last portion of that scripture, the last verse of chapter 14, before he goes into the resurrection, before he goes into how, you know, we're going to be resurrected and how we die and everything else, before he goes into that, if we were to just take that portion and apply that to this situation, everything must be done, should be done, has to be done decently and in order. If it was just, if they would just take that and run with it, then everything else would fall into place. If they would do that in love, and genuinely look to the benefit of somebody else. Everything else would fall into order. But what was happening here is everybody wanted their place. They wanted their 15 minutes of fame, their three minutes of fame. Everybody wanted to be on top. Everybody wanted to be in charge, including women. And I would only assume that children were running amok everywhere. You know, they were just going back and forth. And I, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I'm, you know, hey, everybody's getting drunk. Everybody's yelling and cussing and whatever sexual immorality is going on and kids are going everywhere. It's going haywire. And it just kept going all over the place. We cannot communicate God's word in confusion. God's word cannot be communicated when there's all this chaos going on. And the tongues part, so again, once so we're clear, it was a language. And the tongue, the languages were given so that people can hear 16 different languages in Acts chapter 2. And it was done again much later, and other people heard in their language. And it was done again later with the, the apostles, the, the disciples of John. And, and after that, we don't hear of that anymore except for right here. And it's all in, in, bad, in a bad case. And, but it was always languages. And then they brought in the ecstatic stuff. But what Paul is addressing here is the genuine Authentic, authentic language that was being spoken of. He says, okay, this is a brand new church. Nothing else has been written yet. And I'm trying to get you guys on one page. If there are still people that have that ability to speak the tongues, do it one at a time. And there's some instruction here at the very beginning, as we read here just a little bit ago. Uh, you know, one, two, or maybe three. And he's talking to a healthy church. He's talking to a church that is willing to listen. Okay, if you're a healthy church, but this was not a healthy church. So in a sense, it's almost like he was, I don't know, making fun of them. Yeah, you know, what you should be doing instead of, 
bickering and bite, backbiting. What you should be doing is one or two people. I understand that that still goes on. Paul even says, I, I'm able to do it. But there came a time when the Bible was put together and it was not needed anymore. So Paul was saying, if it's still happening, with, if it's genuine, if it's still happening within your congregation, two or three people. Prophesying. What are you guys all doing? Getting up and speaking. He says, don't do that. He says, that's not, that's, that's not how you ought to be doing this. He says, and so he says at the very end, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. In other words, speak God's word. And last week we talked about communicating God's word, what it means to communicate God's word. Paul says, I would rather speak five intelligible words, five intelligible words, than go off and all this ecstatic stuff. And the five words that we picked last, last week, I'm not saying that this is what Paul picked, but the five words that, that if I had, if th- these were my last five words on this planet, is Jesus died just for you. If I was at the point of a gun or at the edge of a sword and I only had five words to give, that's th- not my speaking in Spanish or whatever, so an ecstatic speech. Those are the only five words that I would want to have left. Bless you. And that one too. That, those are the five, and Paul says, I would rather just be able to speak five intelligible words to communicate God's love. And what is the gospel? What is the good news? What is evangelism? In Matthew chapter 28, I'll conclude with this. Jesus was crucified, buried, and he resurrected on the third day. After 40 days, and we'll talk about this here this next week, after 40 days, after 500 people saw him, after 40 days, he's getting to ascend up into heaven. And he gathers his disciples. And he tells them, and he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise is that if we go, that he will be with us. When we go, as we go, he will be with us. Here's the thing. Many people do not go. And I believe it's because of the omission of verse 17, which I omitted intentionally, but I inserted it right at the bottom. And read verse 17 with me of Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they what? But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, follow this with me, please. The very first thing, before you can share anything, you've got to see something. Before you can tell of anything, you've got to know something. Before you can actually express what God has done in your life, you've got to allow God to do something in your life. And as the disciples got together and they were all gathered around him and they were looking up to Jesus and he's getting ready to ascend and and they came to him. And when they saw him, They recognized this is the man that was killed. He was murdered on a cruel cross. We saw him buried, but there he is. Now now that in itself should be evidence enough for anybody to go and share the good news. And that 
more than anything, should give the apostles and all the disciples just the, the willingness to fall and worship at Jesus' feet. Amen? I, I, I would say so. I know I, I didn't see Jesus Christ personally, but I know that he died on the cross for me. I know that I know what I've been forgiven of. I know that what God has taken away from me. I know what he's given me. I know that I have eternal life. And now I got to share that with everybody else. And, 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 I, and here's, here's what gets me. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubt. A couple of things going on here, folks. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen what he can do in your life? Have you seen the miraculous power of a transformed life? Regenerated, made brand new, turned into a, a disciple maker, turned into a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Have you, have you experienced, have you seen him to the point where it just wants you to do nothing else but share the good news? Have you seen him in such a way that you're willing to add all worth to him? Forget the world, forget my car, my house, my truck, my family. I want to just add everything I have to the lordship and follow in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or are you doubting? You see, the answer to that question in your own personal life is the evidence of the life that you live. Now, you come to our church and you participate and you listen and you pray and we sing and we fellowship and, you know, we, we learn together. And, I, and for the most part, I'm not really privy to your personal life, which might be a good idea, you know. <laughs> might be pretty good. But don't worry about what I think. I mean, don't worry about me catching you doing something. What ought to scare you is that God knows. That's what ought to scare you. We're not all there. I, I, I can. I'm glad that you weren't with us last night. You know, trying to keep my grandkids in order. And oh, I forgot my daughter's here. I did it. I did it in love. <laughs> Just some of the things that we say. I'm not always perfect. I'm not. I understand that. But my, I, my prayer is for you that you see what he can do in your life when he's transformed you. You're born again, regenerated. You're not born again back into what you used to be. You're born again into something what he wants you to be. And, and, and this, this attitude of, of worship, a lifestyle of worship, do not doubt him. Because the very next thing Jesus says, he came to them and said, all authority is his. And he's commissioning you to go and to make disciples. And it's difficult to do within a church, and this is not us, but it's difficult to do. Paul is telling them all of this stuff if you're not doing things in order. If everybody is getting up and doing whatever they want, not going to listen to the pastor, the leaders, or anybody else. You know, I'm tired of this church. I'm going somewhere else. It's not going to happen, folks. We have an opportunity here within, during Seder. We'll have new people here, people that have come here before, people that haven't been here before for our, our Passover meal. And I am, commissioning you, I am commissioning you, church, to go and find somebody and make a disciple. Wherever you go, I am commissioning you to go and make a disciple. 
And it says of all nations, but start where you're at. When the Holy Spirit came down, he says, uh, well, actually, when Jesus told the, the disciples to wait and before the Holy Spirit came down, he says, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You start where you are. In Judea, take it a little bit further. Samaria, and then as far as you can go. But start where you are, folks. Start where you are. This church was in trouble. Thank God that we're not in trouble. This is a solid church. It's got a good foundation, good leaders, good people, giving people. Helps us to do things that are beyond, you know, it blows me away on how God has just provided for us. And not only in finances, but in everything that you do. When we come together, just things that take place. I'm just asking you to step up and start to worship and become that disciple maker. Worship him first and then serve him. Let me ask you to stand. I don't know if this message was challenging to you. If it is, then maybe God is speaking to you in a very special way. But I know that this message that Paul shared with the people in Corinth really struggled with it. Because we'll find out as we go into 2 Corinthians, they struggled with it. Paul had to go back and revisit. But I thank God that he has allowed us to keep this epistle so that we can revisit it and recognize it. And our church is a good fellowship. We are, we are pretty strong in our fellowship, in our ministry to each other. We are lacking, even within our worship, I believe that a lifestyle of worship is being expressed here as well. But we are lacking in the area of, of uh, evangelism, of being able to go go forth. And, and as I shared with the members this morning, the new members, we had five, which thank God for that. We'll, we'll introduce them to you next Sunday. We had five members come in, five people come in and, and um, you know, but it just so happens that we get five and one goes away. Where are you going, Joe? <laughs> it, it can't work like that. You guys, you guys got to stay. <laughs> you guys got to stay. You can't just become a member. Okay, I'm gone. I'm picking on you now. But as I was sharing with them, our uh, mission, you know, with the five things that we do, you know, we, we fellowship, we discipleship, we minister, we, we, we do uh, evangelism, we do worship. And all those five things, and just like my fingers, and, and if you look at a barrel and the staves that are in the barrel, the water level is only going to rise as high as the lowest stave. And, and we cannot have a barrel overflowing until we're all operating uh, and so we can be doing good on fellowship, we can be doing good on worship, but if we're not doing good in evangelism, we're, we're only going to get that high. And, and it's not a matter of making a bunch of people here. We're not trying to be a huge church. We're trying to be a healthy church, folks. And each one of us doing our part. And I believe 1 Corinthians has been showing us that. Let me, let me ask you to bow your heads. Father, I just want to thank you once again. For how you tug at our heartstrings, Lord. And sometimes uh, with just a very simple message, and you convict us. Every one of us, including myself, Father, each one of us can do more, can rise up. Lord, each one of us have an ability that you've given us. And when I can only do what I can do, then I'm operating on my own ability. But Lord, you've given me and each one of us here a supernatural ability. Something that takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do that I cannot do on my own strength. 
And it is that there, Father, that you have asked us to entrust to you, to surrender to your lordship, to surrender and be obedient to your word and just go. So thank you, Father, once again for this message that you've given us, the words by Paul and how they challenge us. I pray, Lord, that you continue to be with us as we celebrate this uh, fellowship with our brother Joe, that you help us uh, send him off well, that we encourage him as he's been an encouragement to us. As we share this meal, Lord, I pray that you bless the food that's been prepared and you nourish us and uh, you continue to be with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right, let's uh, move on over next door. Food's been blessed and prayed for, so just dig in.